Hey everybody, what's up? It's Sathya Sam here and welcome to the New Man Podcast. We are doing an interview today and this is with uh, a really interesting group of guys. Um, this is my first time doing an interview with more than one guest at the same time. Um, but it's Doug and George from Castamonia. And Castamonia is a Latin word that means um, moral purity, I believe, or moral integrity. Uh, anyways, just fascinating guys with a fascinating story. And um, both of them uh, just have honestly unbelievable stories. Like we're talking like multiple affairs, prostitution, um, all kinds of, they got into all kinds of stuff, uh, nearly lost their marriages and then had um, just incredible recovery stories. And uh, honestly, I just found them to be really inspiring. You know, just an amazing reminder of what God can do with uh, somebody who's willing to confront their pain, uh, willing to get the help they need, and just willing to uh, to walk in the integrity he's called them to. And so I know you're going to be super blessed by it. And uh, you, these guys are both hilarious, uh, just like lots of banter back and forth. So this is definitely um, a very light, a very fun and engaging interview and uh, really just um, good stuff, like really inspiring stories and some good practical advice as well. So I know you're going to enjoy it. I'm going to cue that music and we will get into it. Here's my interview with Doug and George from Castamonia. Welcome to the New Man Podcast, a show for brave men to experience freedom in their faith, sexuality, and relationships. The goal? To provide practical tools and timeless principles that help you become the man you were made to be. And now, your host, Sathya Sam. All right, well, I'm here with George and Doug of Castamonia. Guys, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Great to be here. It's good to be here. Thanks. Yeah, this is fun. This is actually my first time recording a podcast with two guests simultaneously. And um, it helps that you guys know each other. You're taking little jabs at each other before we hit record here. So uh, I'm feeling pretty confident that, uh, that we're going to have a great interview. Um, we'll get into Castamonia and what that word even means and kind of what you guys do. But you both have incredible stories. You, don't, you didn't just pick this because, you know, you wanted to do it. It's not the thing you probably had yourself doing when you grew up kind of thing. Um, but you both have had experiences, uh, you know, working through sexual brokenness experiencing healing and um i'd just love to hear it so so doug why don't you kick us off man tell us a little bit about how you got into this space yeah so exactly like you said you get in the space uh not because it's a, a wish growing up or, or those kind of things it's kind of a a ministry that you you didn't know existed and, and it'd be better on, on some levels if you if you never knew just because i wish that I, I didn't have that brokenness to deal with but yeah uh for sure it was life-saving to find uh so uh, you know, my life was uh, kind of full of a lot of brokenness. So, I mean, yes, there was pornography. Yes, there was the sexual brokenness. I had multiple affairs. I, I sought uh, answers outside of my marriage uh, in, in lots of ways. And so that, that brokenness was years and years and years, all this, you know, behind my wife's back and uh, really just looking for other solutions to problems that I had. Uh, and, you know, just trying to find those what I would call now quick fixes uh, all throughout life uh, and mm -hmm. realizing that maybe I was just broken maybe this is just how it is so I'll hide it I'll be a different person at church a different person at work and a different person at home and just became this chameleon in all in all types of ways uh, and then it all came to light God brought that to light uh, and brought that in into just complete awareness of others and my wife and so it had to be dealt with yeah. And, and frankly, that's the only way in my story that it would have been dealt with is for it to just all be out on the table. So there was no, no way to lie anymore or get around it. Uh, and that was, was just it, a major part of who I was. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to ask, was it your choice or did, did it, were you kind of forced to bring it to light or how did that all come about? Yeah, definitely forced to bring it to light. There was, there was no like part of me that would ever wanted to tell this stuff out. And, you know, I would go to men's conferences or, or church or men's groups or read books where people were talking about, you know, things similar to this or, you know, getting help and healing. I'm like, those guys are crazy. I would never talk about that. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm on a podcast where I do it uh, week in and week out. But uh, so, uh, you know, fast forward that story. So it all, all hits the fan, all comes out. It's on the table. Uh, I'm kicked out of the house and I need to, to find recovery or I, you know, I'm kind of on this hill where I, I go one way, I'm just in my addiction and, and I really do feel like I would be dead if that's the direction I chose. 
yeah. or I can enter recovery and go down that side. So I, I chose recovery. I chose that path uh, and, and was separated from my wife for several months, seven or eight months. And uh, in that time, I had a lot of time on my hands, like literally living with my mother. Hmm. And so uh, I had a, a microphone. I was like, well, I, I don't see too many podcasts on this subject directly. Uh, so I literally just plugged it in and started hitting record. And I'm just like, hey, I'm, I'm a schmuck with a microphone, but but I'll just record what I can. Uh, and, and George blessed that from the from the castimonia side and uh, was just able to do that. Um, I've been lucky where I, I'll call people that I've respected from reading their books or other podcasters or other things. And, and everyone agrees to jump on uh, the show, with the exception of one person. And I won't call them out. But uh, most people uh, do agree to be on the show. And it's it's pretty powerful to just kind of be a conduit for these experts to talk to people that that need hope and healing. So I use this podcast as my own recovery. Uh, I need it to talk to other guys that have gone down this path and found hope, found healing. And the tagline on the podcast that I use each week is that you're on a road of recovery, but you're not walking alone. Uh, mm. Just because in my addiction, I felt very alone. I felt like I was the only one. Uh, I felt like there was no one else like me. And I've heard George talk about this, like somehow we feel alone, but yet it's, it's the pornography industry is one of the bus busiest and and most lucrative industries out there. So we're definitely yeah. not alone, but somehow we feel like we are. Yeah, yeah, it's really well said and an incredible story. How how long ago was it that you were separated from your wife for those seven months? So uh, that was in 2015. So okay. uh, six years ago that that all hit the fan. Okay, okay, got it, got it. And did you guys have any kids? We do, we have three kids. Uh, they're okay. teenagers now, uh, but you know, wow. at that point they were, uh, in that moment where they could figure out a lot of what was going on. And, uh, you know, obviously we uh, often uh, try to talk and code and, and that just wasn't happening. Of course, dad separated, staying with grandma. Like there's a lot that needed to be explained. And oh, I bet. Uh, we ended up moving just based on like the circumstances of affair partners and, and so many other things that uh, we ended up moving. And so that created even more tension in their life. So just dealing with that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe we'll get a chance to talk to talk about that a little bit later, because I think navigating those conversations, whether it's with kids or with a spouse, um, not a lot of people talk about that, you know, and when you think about how many guys are struggling that have significant others, um, yeah, you could have some wisdom to shed there. So th thanks for sharing your story, man. It's, it's amazing and need to see just what God's done with the podcast. And like you said, being that that conduit to help so many other guys get help that they desperately need and maybe don't know where else to get it. It's uh, it's amazing what you're doing. Uh, George, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about Castamonia um, and uh, and your origin story. You know, how did this all come about for you? Well, first of all, I'm kind of shocked at what Doug just said. I mean, I don't know if you should be in charge of the podcast anymore. you got a lot of baggage, dude. <laughs> I know, tons. I should, I should have been more clear with that. We, we should have vetted a wow. little bit more. This, this was a part of the uh, internet uh, interview process. Jeez. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I like to joke around a lot. Uh, so, um, Castamonia, founding, origin story, much like Spider-Man, uh, much like Superman, just kind of one of those weird things where, uh, you know, I've been watching porn since I was four years old, uh, back there with my dad. Four. So, uh, yeah, four. Uh, and, and I was sexually abused by a girl that from three to seven, she was a little older than me, but, you know, a lot of control, a lot of, um, you know, do things I want you to do kind of thing. And, uh, so Can my I dad, stop you real quick, like how in the world is that like Spider-Man or Batman? Like none of that. <laughs> <laughs> it was an interesting metaphor to say the yeah. least. Yeah. Totally. Well, I'll get to it. I'll get to it later. Right. So um, uh, my <laughs> that's awesome. My dad uh, conveniently kept uh, pornography on the bottom shelf. So if you look right behind you, that bookshelf, you go to the bottom shelf and it's stacked with a bunch of pornographic magazines. And so as a as a four-year-old, you know, wander around my parents' room and stuff, um, finding it, looking at it, not to do, not knowing what to do with it, uh, not being able to process all those things and just get that warped image in my mind. Um, uh, just started the process of basically looking at it daily until I entered recovery at uh, 33 or 32, actually. 
And uh, so that was in 2009 when I entered recovery. And by then I'd be having multiple affairs and uh, viewing pornography daily, uh, having sex with uh, adult entertainers and uh, strippers and um, uh, escorts and uh, massage parlors, all the things, you know, that, and, and the saddest part was, is that once my daughter was born in 2007, like I tried to stop and I couldn't, like I tried to go a week without porn or, or a month without porn and I couldn't. And mm. uh, I tried to go, you know, a month or a week without going to see a, a adult entertainer and I couldn't, I couldn't stop. Uh, it was even so bad that I remember flying out to a job site, um, looking out the, the window of the airplane, just hope, praying. I just acted out at an adult sta- a strip club and and I just prayed, it's like, Lord, just crash the plane because I can't do this anymore. And um, But the problem is, I... I, the, the, the unsanctified self in me wanted to do it more to kill the pain that I was feeling in life. Hmm. And so in 2009, my last affair partner's uh, boyfriend contacted my wife and told her all the things, not just about the affair, but about the adult industry I was involved in and all the, all the trash I was doing. And wow. uh, that kind of brought it to light. And I got kicked out of the house, much like Doug. Um, I wish I'd known Doug back in 2009. We could have hung out together, you know, been bachelors in our own bachelor pad and <laughs> had crazy parties and stuff. But the reality was I was stuck alone in a extended stay hotel, uh, just completely miserable. And uh, I went and saw one therapist and she freaked out when I told her all my story. And then my uh, my brother called me right before I was planning to commit suicide and uh, told me to go see a Christian therapist. I told him everything, why we weren't going to go visit him the following week. Uh, he lives right. in Mississippi. And um, and I, I made that call and I, and I feel sorry for that receptionist because I called and I, when I called to make the appointment, I told her everything. <laughs> she, she probably freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, another one of these. And, um, and put me in touch with a Christian therapist and uh, started my journey into recovery. I mean, I told him my story and he said, well, I think you had a sexual addiction. I said, no, no crap. You know, no, well, I used the more uh, colorful term, ship high in transit, as we call it. And um, it, uh, it started me going to uh, recovery. Meeting. I went to SAA first and then celebrate recovery Okay. And uh, I understood that, hey, I wasn't the only one supporting a billion dollar porn industry or sex industry or adult entertainment industry in Houston. There's a whole bunch of people. I mean, I knew there was a whole bunch of people because I was so involved. I mean, we had message boards that I ran that I would, you know, communicate with with other guys and girls in, in the adult entertainment industry. I just didn't know it was like an actual problem and not knowing there's a problem, then I didn't know that there was a solution. Right. And so uh, for me, the solution to life and life's pain was to act out sexually, uh, to watch porn, to go see a massage, uh, massage therapist and act out sexually rather than what I learned in SAA and, and CR to work a program. And for me, the steps were a, as an engineer, it, it was a structured program I could follow one by one, slowly yeah. clearing all the, the, the unsanctified death that was inside my body and striving for that sexual purity. And so uh, in 2010 or 2009, I gave my testimony in front of my church and this uh, older English guy came and said, hey, you know, I heard your testimony. Sounds like you've got a lot of recovery experience. I want to start a, uh, a ministry uh, for different areas of recovery here at the church. And so he started Mirror Now, and he found me six months later in January and said, hey, I'm having this meeting. I want you to come and listen. So I, I went and listened. I was there with my wife and we heard everybody talk about how they wanted to help with overeating. They wanted to help with uh, drugs and alcohol. One person wanted to help with homeless people and um, which really doesn't fit into the ministry perspective, but 
And then I pop up, I want to help out with sexual addiction. And like the room was like, what? What did he say? <laughs> it's like, I mean, we're in church here, right? I mean, we're not supposed to say that. And, uh, and so really, I, I mean, there was, there was a couple of uh, groups that formed out of Maranao that were, um, they all have Greek names and origin. There's a, a women's group, a, a betrayed spouses group, Paracaleo, a, a general woman's group, Adelphi, and they all have these Greek names. And so I was going to start a sexual purity group, a sexual integrity group there at the church. And uh, I came up with the name Castimonia based on, um, well, my Latin, Latino heritage, right? So yeah. Latin, Castimonia is Latin for moral purity, which to me is bigger than sexual purity because sex is just part of it. It's not the, the whole problem I have. It's the solution to the problem I have. Mm. And uh, my morality, my, my morals uh, as a problem, my, my character defects, my fear, my anxiety, my resentments, all those things that I need to work on uh, is a much bigger issue than the sexual part. The sexual part, um, I, want, I don't want to, let me knock on wood, I don't want to say it's the easiest thing to work on, but it was, you know, stop going to these places, stop going to massage, but stop going to strip clubs. And that's right. been a, a real blessing for me and even more of a blessing living in Houston, which is such a highly sexualized city that I don't even know if any of those places are open anymore. And I was like, Praise Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't want. I don't want to go back there. And so, uh, but it it is in working the steps that I that uh, I ran through SAA and then convert to a Christ-centered uh, program in Castimonia to to build that structure, not only for myself, uh, but to teach others, like to teach yeah. uh, um, guys like Doug and. And some of our other guys, uh, we started with three guys in December, or I'm sorry, Jan uh, June 12th, 2010. And now we have like, I don't know, about 20 meetings in uh, a week in wow. um, four states, soon to be five states. Uh, so it's slowly expanding and, and uh, Zoom has done an amazing thing uh, no by allowing yeah. us to communicate with guys from all over the world, really. We had a guy from Africa call in on Zoom and Europe, Italy, and and of course uh, Washington State, which is like another world uh, <laughs> compared to Texas. <laughs> yeah, so, sure. so it's given us the ability to do that. And um, for me, wow. as the founder and executive director, I just I just try to stay out of out of the way and yeah. uh, you know let God do His work because I have a proven track record of messing things up in my life. And so if I let God do it and let other men like Doug do it, then it's great. I mean, I don't have to worry about messing things up. I mean, could you imagine, Doug, if I had started a podcast, how terrible it would have been? Yeah, it would have been awful. And it would have had an explicit <laughs> lyrics thing. Yeah. yeah, it would have had all episodes explicit lyrics. Um, yes. Yeah. No, but I'm really thankful for, like, even that initial host church. I remember George talking one time about, like, creating the the PowerPoint things that go in the lobby, you know, for all the different ministries. And his first attempt at that, I think he told me was something like, you know, you know, struggling with masturbation or something like that. Uh. But the church was like, that, that might be a little too far. And so yeah. just he and the church working through the navigation of how do we really get this out there in a real way, but not be so real that we're offending everyone. So that was yeah. you know, just, a powerful beginning. Uh, and I just also want to say, like, Castimonia, we we are Christ-centered. We, we 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 don't say higher power in our meetings. We do talk about God. Uh, but yeah. we definitely are open to, to people that, that do say higher power or like, you know, I'm not really sure about that God thing. I'm here to to work on my sexual purity. And that and that's great. I mean, we're, we're for that. We don't uh, turn people away or check their Christian card at the door or any of those kind of things. So, oh, uh, sorry, Doug. I meant to tell you, we started checking Christian cards. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, you got to check them. All right. <laughs> do you guys want to do your little staff meeting here now as well? We can cover any other major agenda items. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. A retreat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, Doug, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think one of the dynamics that's at play for you know guys like us who are in this space and talking about uh, purity and, and all, all these kinds of subjects about wholeness and mor moral integrity and all that, 
um, is culturally speaking, it's kind of frowned upon and people don't really have a grid for it. Um, you know, a lot of people like, uh, George, I think you, you had said this before we hit record, but you know, when you were really caught up in the, the scene there in Houston, it was like, well, this is just normal. Like how else do you cope with the ways of life? And I think, um, you know, even in the church now, we're seeing sort of this, um, pocket of people evolve who, who love Jesus and profess him as Lord and savior, but then have kind of bent on some of the morals of sex before marriage. And, uh, well, I would say that would be probably the big one, but you know, just the whole purity thing, just getting kind of, um, tainted, you know, and people, uh, throwing stones at that and trying to redefine it. Uh, how have you guys managed that? I don't know if maybe in your groups you experience this dynamic where people are saying, well, what's the, why is sex before marriage? Um, why is that such a problem? Or why can't I watch a little bit of porn if it's going to help me have more intimacy with my wife? Or, you know, I, I don't know. Those are just some of the classic arguments. But um, how have you guys dealt with that dynamic? And um, I don't know. What, do you guys have any, any thoughts on that? that? That whole thing around purity culture? So, so we tie these people up and we whip them with Roman <laughs> chains, a little, okay. little crucifixion action, and, and they learn their lesson. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the bottom line. So, uh, although, you know, it, it's interesting you say that because even uh, not just in the church, but just in general, uh, I was, I'm on a dad's group on um, one of the social media sites and somebody posted, what do you do to, to relieve your stress and, and anxiety? And like multiple people wrote porn and I thought they were joking. I was like, man, that's sad. That's like, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, you're right though. A lot of people do, but they yeah. didn't see it as wrong. They said, right. well, you know, it's not wrong for me. I mean, it's like, but here's the thing. I don't judge them. I mean, it's not for me to judge what they want to do. My job mm is to help the individual that has fallen prey to porn or, or sexual integrity issues to come in here and teach them how to live life without looking for that solution of porn or affairs or masturbation or can I say masturbation? Is this, is this, is this okay? Absolutely. That's I want to make sure. Here on the podcast. Yeah. Okay. You're good. You know, some, some places like the church, they said, you can't even put self-gratification on that rolling screen. And I was like, well, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty, it was pretty funny. What Doug mentioned earlier was so true, but anyway, so um, I try to stay away from um, interfering with people's personal beliefs until yeah. they actually enter the program so uh as a ministry we don't go protest you know porn movies or or porn sites or we don't go uh testify in front of congress and say hey porn is bad or or, or go to a church and say sex before marriage is bad i mean honestly myself i agree with that that it is bad that it's not healthy that it, it, there's too many Con negative consequences that come out of it versus positive consequences yeah. and so but as a ministry we welcome anybody that wants to come in that has fallen um i guess prey to the enemy's sexual temptations and believe it or not uh, sex is the easiest way for the enemy to destroy a, a person a man or a woman's uh, ministry to others and whether it's the ministry to their family to their children to their friends to their co-workers man you get sexual integrity issues involved and then that shame and guilt covers you up and you don't want to talk about it to others and yeah. that and therein lies the freedom for like me and you and doug is that i'm open to say masturbation i'm open to say pornography or or any of that because i've experienced all that negative stuff i've experienced the sex before marriage and living with with a stripper for two years before I got, you know, we split up and I married a, an actual Christian woman who I love dearly. And um, it's kind of one of those things where um, I've been there and I know the consequences. And yeah. so having lived through all those consequences, uh, the best I can do is when the guy comes and asks me those questions is just tell him my story and say, hey, this is what happened to me. It may be different for you, but I just know the negative impact it's had in my life and how, how it's impacted people around me mm. and my friends, my family, et cetera, because my value, my actions did not line up with my values. 
Yeah. And so, and then it's up to them to choose. You know, I'm not going, I'm not going to um, hold them hostage or anything. Although I think Doug does lock the doors at the, at the meetings and keep yeah, people inside. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right around the altar call part, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We like to have a captivated audience. So, uh, what, no, but I, I think just to add on to even what George is, is saying, I mean, recovery, one of the, the adages that's always used is, you know, you're on your side of the street, right? I work on my side of the street. Uh, and that's all I can do. And I think mm. that was one of the big lessons I learned in recovery is I got to work on myself. Uh, and other guys, if they choose to come to the meeting, they're working on themselves. And it's not for me to, to come in and say, uh, this is wrong, this is right, you're doing this well, you're not doing this well, unless yeah. I'm invited into that space to try to walk with them and, and figure it out. Uh, but I think that's the, the beauty of recovery is that guys are coming seeking help. So we're not out there like, you know, stopping people from entering an adult theater and trying to yank them to a meeting, like to try to convince them that, that what they're doing once. is wrong. <laughs> but I was trying I'm sure to get that in. Really well. I was trying to get in and he, you know, got in my way. So, oh, yeah. You know, so weird. Very weird. <laughs> and I think in recovery, that's one of the things I've struggled with. It's like I can, I have almost like a, a spidey sense to go back to Spider Man, right? Like oh, when you, you pick up a, a guy that, like you pick up like the sense with someone that they're like, okay, something's not right with this person. Like they're yeah. definitely acting out or they're definitely not who they say they are. Uh, and I want to confront that. Like my human nature wants to be like, dude, you're a liar and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's not going to go well. It's not going to ever lead to that person going, you're right, sir. Let's, let's fix this. Like, no, yeah. it's just, um, and so I've kind of had to, to realize that my side of the street is, is waiting uh, for, for God to reveal that in someone's life or for them to choose that. Um, yeah. I live in a town with a lot of college guys. So pornography and the younger generation is really different. Like I didn't go to college with a cell phone. I was back in the 1900s. So we didn't have that. But now <laughs> it's, you know, there, that's a real struggle. You know, I tell them yeah. they're carrying cocaine around in your pocket. Like you're just literally uh, having the struggle that maybe I didn't have to deal with in the same way. Uh, yeah. And so a lot of a lot of college guys are like it's not that bad it's it's normal we'll stop when we get married this is just uh how how it is for college guys and you know i push back on that i, I talk about that but it's for them to decide like yeah. uh, you know and that's a that's a piece where you know i think sometimes our human nature is pretty pretty good about justification i was an expert at it to where i can make anything well yeah pornography is good for my sex life and it makes me appreciate women and all these kind of things well you know, all but, that's true doug it, right? it is um, <laughs> I, oh, oh is it yeah. <laughs> oh my bad <laughs> um, yeah so I, and I just think that those lies uh, become our own voice pretty easily and yeah. so i just always challenge guys to really seek the true voice and and really that process of sanctification reveals what it needs to reveal for each person. No, it's really know, good. And Doug said something interesting, uh, a couple of things. One, the, if I had had uh, a cell phone, you know, when I was in college with high-speed internet, I probably would have failed out of my engineering degree. I would not have graduated. I mean, yeah. I watched a lot of porn when I was in college, but it was the VHS tapes. It wasn't internet and you had to like sneak away and, and like get your roommate. It was crazy but the bigger thing that he said was to wait on god to do the work and that's been like the most difficult thing for me personally uh, is to wait on god to bring guys to me that you know hey um there may be a guy struggling should i go talk to him or i mean i would i tell my story uh quite often and i and i am open about it i i've shared it in front of the whole church on the testimony screen my kids heard it, which is a beautiful thing when the, the kids that knew me saw it. And now this is a perfect example of Jesus saying, be like little children. They all came up to me and hugged me. It's like, hey, Mr. George, we saw you on the big screen. No condemnation. No worry about sexual addiction or por uh, pornography or, or sexual abuse or anything. It was just like, hey, George, we saw you on the screen, Mr. George. Hey, hey. That beautiful yeah. thing. But in waiting for God, I mean, so... My next door neighbor, um, he was deeply involved in this stuff, in, in pornography, in uh, adult establishments and affairs. And his affair partner uh, basically gave him an ultimatum, either you tell your wife or we're done. And so he decided to drink a lot of alcohol 
uh, get in the affair partner's car, she wasn't there, and then put a gun to his head and pull the trigger. And this was my next door neighbor from uh, probably 30 feet away, 40 feet away. Uh, there was a solution waiting for him right there. And I really struggled with that for a good, you know, four to six months because, you know, God put me in this place. They moved in right next to me and I had the solution right there. And not once did he ever come over. I mean, we talked, but never deep. And uh, I mean, after that happened, uh, I mean, it was it was so impactful for me that I decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and uh, post a message on our, on our um, men's group for the neighborhood and say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what happened to my neighbor. I don't want this to happen to anybody else. And then I just have to wait. Mm, I have right. to wait for God to act. So now people know that there's a solution out there if they want it, if they feel they need it and they can come to us or their wives might see it. And they said, you know what? I think you need to go to this meeting or go talk to this guy. But yeah. the big, the hardest part is waiting for God and wait for him to do what he's going to do and trying to stay out of it. Because if I start doing it, I become a maniac and go insane trying to save everybody from, from the sin of sexual immorality and and all of a sudden, I'm like John the Baptist yelling in the forest and, and baptizing people in the river. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I feel that um, my, the way I do it is offer a lot of grace, a lot of mercy to guys, whether they come in with small, what, what, what the world considers small problems like pornography or huge problems like adultery uh, yeah. and, and, uh, and understanding that God doesn't rank the sins they're all the same and me just being there with uh, open arms saying hey welcome you know you're in the right place if you want help here it is and um so yeah it, it's been a really uh really crazy journey over the last uh what has it been 10 11 years 11 years now so um yeah it's it's amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be really cool to be John the Baptist, though, with all the locusts and wild honey. I mean, I do love some honey, hey. so that would be yeah. <laughs> I, the whole thing for me is not, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's where you draw the line, I guess. Yeah, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> um, I'm wondering for you guys, like when you look back on your recovery process and uh, you know, reconciling relationships um, and all the things that just come with it. What what for your each of you was was the most impactful? Doug, maybe you can go first. But what what helped you the most, or what's like the thing that if you didn't have this, you probably wouldn't have recovered? Um, what would that be for you, Doug? He just basically Ooh. told me I spoke too much. Yeah, he's like first. George just had way too much airtime. I'll get the short answer out of the way first, and then George, you yeah. can just order it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he's definitely figured out who's the long-winded one of the pair. So, um, yeah, that's why George also can't be in charge of the podcast. Or they'd be three and a half hours long each. Uh, be like this. Well, Joe Rogan does it. it. Seems to be working for him. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's a yeah. thing there. Maybe there's something. Uh, that's a hard one because with recovery, man, there's so many like stakes in the ground that I would say without that, the whole thing would have fallen um you know so i'd put it under an umbrella of community so i think castimonia falls in that i think yeah. that uh the, the cr group that i was a part of falls in that i even think you know my, my early counseling experiences and sponsorship all fall kind of under this idea of community and realizing that i wasn't alone uh you know for me i had to come to grips with a lot of different things i had to look in a mirror and really see uh, just all the issues that I had going on without trying to say, well, it's not that bad. Look at so-and-so and look at so-and-so and, and really yeah. trying to deflect all that. And once I tried to do a better job of not deflecting everywhere, uh, I was able to really kind of work on some things. And I think that was some of the bigger turning points. Uh, for me, I had to have a, a counselor that, that he really just you know, didn't let me get away with anything. And he towed the line harshly because I needed that at the time. Yeah. Uh, and then after a while I could, I could switch to a counselor that was much nicer, <laughs> but uh, you know, but God sent me that counselor because that's what I needed to be broken out of those chains. And it took a lot to do that. Yeah. Um, uh, and, but that sense of community, just, it can't be understated that how much it was important for me to tell the truth and tell who I was and put all the yuck out there 
Yeah. And to see people that were still sitting there and didn't run away. Uh, I've definitely had people run away. I mean, there's definitely friendships I've lost through this process and things. But uh, for the most part, when you can put something like that in a crucible and see what's still there, it's a pretty powerful thing. Uh, I've yeah. talked on my podcast that even my wife and reconciling that relationship, uh, it's it was so powerful because I lived my entire life and, and most of our relationship, I was like, if she only knew this, then she would leave me. Or if she knew this, she would hate me. She'd divorce right. me. And now she knows it all and she still accepts me. She still loves me in spite yeah. of all that. And so that's a really powerful place to be like, wow, she knows it all and she's still here. Not she's here because she doesn't know that. Uh, mm. And that is uh, such a, a change in my mindset and a change with everything that I needed. Uh, yeah. kind of, you make yeah. all that money, Doug. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's really just about the big paycheck <laughs> from the podcast. <laughs> Well, I just just a follow up there. I guess it's interesting because, um, you know, some guys, some guys wouldn't even go that far. Like, I mean, you guys both mentioned that in some ways you were forced to be upfront about the truth. And I know a lot of guys, I think, would rather wait until that moment happens than try to bring the conversation up themselves and risk losing their relationship, losing their wife and their kids and whatever else it may be. I mean, did, was that... I don't know. Did, did that ever come? Like, did you ever have to settle that you may not get this marriage back and that this thing might be over? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For that the time I was separated, that was really the mindset. And when, you yeah. know, uh, it all came to light and the, just that day, you know, she found out about like four affairs at one time and confronted me about those fours. And she said, well, how many more are there? And I was like, I, I don't know, 20, you know, and Wow. Uh, and I thought, well, that's because our, our relationship's over. Uh, I found out I undershot that number a little bit, but uh, right. it was still like just what we were trying to work through with that. And I, it was just a part of that, that conversation. Yeah. But assuming that my marriage is now over, uh, I need to do this for me so I don't die, die spiritually, die physically, die emotionally. Yes. Like uh, I need a recovery for me. So uh, I started going to CR, started going to Castamonia, all of that, just assuming I need to become a better person for my kids, for me, for, you know, yes, I would love to save my marriage. I don't see how in the world that would ever happen. Uh, yeah. but, uh, it was really about working on me. Uh, and, and like I said, just going back to that, it's just a, I tell guys a lot of times, do you want to be in a relationship where you're only there based on lies? Like basically, you feel like you're there because your wife doesn't know this. And then like that just, it's a crappy place to be. I was there most of my life, but it's a crappy yeah. place to be to assume you're not really accepted or uh, not really loved. And that's manipulative in some way. Uh, at least it was for me. Yeah, that's really powerful. And I do think, um, you know, like some of the guys I work with, they'll say, uh, yeah, you know, I'm doing this to get my fiance back or to get something back or, um, or whatever it is. And usually my response is you can do better than that um, because you don't, you don't know what the other person is going to decide. Um, and in some ways you can't make that decision for them. You can obviously do your part, but I do think um, what you just articulated there is quite powerful. You know, that um, in some, like just detaching the marriage part of it saying, I can't control the outcome there, but I can at least do this for myself. And if I get the marriage back or whatever, it's all kind of a bonus, right? Um, it's really, really amazing. So one more question and then George, I'm coming over to you. Um, well, can, can, I, can I speak oh, on what you just said? Please. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a really big believer in Romans 8, 28, where it says, you know, God can use all these things for my good, right? And so I tell guys that come into recovery, trying to get their marriage back, trying to get their, their fiance back or their kids or whatever, that, hey, God, God's using that. He knows what's going to motivate you to get in here. Now, if you work this program and you, you work it to the T and you really surrender, eventually you're gonna be working recovery for yourself. But at the start, yeah, if you, if you wanna do it to save your marriage, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, it's a but good point, yes. Now that you get in here, you know, let's kick butt, let's do it all and clean out all that crap and then yeah. you'll see that hey i need to work this for me not for my wife not for my kids uh i need to work it for the glory of god and um and, and that really seems good. to work with a lot of guys because 
I mean, I, I was an SAA guy and the mentality was, oh, you, you, you got to work this for yourself. You got to be here for yourself. You can't be here if you're, and it's like, and yeah. These guys in SAA like sound that. like smokers. They, like, yeah, why are they, you I, was, I was just. That's what the that. S stands for, smoking, <laughs> Actually, I guess, right? Yeah. Exactly like that. Old timers, I call them. And um, <laughs> they were really big on that, but they didn't explain the, the, the part about, hey, getting into recovery, if God used your wife to get you in here or yeah. your boss or your girlfriend, fiance, whatever, that's great. Yes. You know, start doing it for them. And then if you work it well enough, you'll see the difference. And then you'll realize, hey, I need to work it for God and for myself. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah and I, I can tell a difference. So, you know, with 12 steps, I'll just kind of explain this quickly. You know, we all sit around in a circle and we all have our time to share and we don't interrupt each other when we're sharing. So a lot of times new guys, when they come, they come because they are saving a marriage or they're saving a relationship or, or something. Uh, and their shares seem to always be, we are doing this, we are doing this. And my wife is mad at me for this, like a lot of we talk. Uh, right. and, and that's okay to begin with. But what I see usually, and, and it is the right thing over months, over weeks, over, over years, maybe, uh, there's a transition to I talk where I'm working on this, I'm doing this. And, it, and yes. it becomes like what I think that process is designed to do. Uh, I tell guys all the time, yeah, mar uh, restoring a marriage gets you into recovery, but it's not going to keep you in recovery. Uh, mm. And so, you know, if you're only there to save your marriage and that's the only thing, then, then if your marriage, you know, goes south, unfortunately, then, then so will your recovery. So uh, I think there's been a lot of guys that they get divorced and they leave recovery. They're done. Yeah. Well, it didn't yeah. work out. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Um, so Doug, the other question I guess I just wanted to ask is, what has it been like to mend that marriage after, you know, I imagine a lot of betrayal, mistrust, um, just all the things that sort of come with, um, with what you guys went through. What, what have you had to do personally to, to build trust back into the marriage and what do things look like today? Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, I think that probably is, is a thing that would come under another umbrella term of like transparency is what comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, just learning to be transparent with life and, and trust my wife more, trust her to know the hard stuff. Like I used to think it was my duty as a husband to protect her from, from hard things. Okay. We're, we, we've got, you know, some bills that, that how are we going to figure this out? I'll, I'll transfer money around and I'll, I'll do all this and not tell her uh, because I need to be the strong one. I need to figure this out. Uh, so, or, you know, obviously with my own brokenness or struggles, like I don't need to burden her with that, like was the excuse I told myself. But mm. starting to live transparent, like I realized now I truly have a partner that we can have a conversation uh, about her struggles or my struggles or financial struggles or our kids uh, in a more vulnerable way. Uh, and that's been really powerful to be known, like to going back to what I was talking about before yes. uh, and truly being, being seen. But no, it's not been easy. There's I mean, our trust is is a growing thing and then that's what i i want it to be a brick by brick uh we'll never have the trust that we had before and i don't think we want that my wife and i talk about that a lot like we mm. had you know kind of this just blind trust uh, with the other person that if you know we never look at their phones never we assume always that they're what, what what they say is is true and like those things and and on on face value you're like yeah that sounds like a good thing uh, but yet in relationship, I think blind trust is not always a, a good thing that the, the devil can come in and, and manipulate that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, she, she has the ability to, to check my phone and to track me and to do those things. I don't think she does it very often, but just even knowing that she has that ability, or I can say, Hey, I got this text from this woman that just felt a little odd, or, uh, you know, I, I had a double take today or, or those kind of things that you're like, wow, you really said that to your wife. And that's just part of our our process because that's what develops trust is honesty uh, yeah. even though honesty isn't always fun like it's not always super fun to say yeah i i was pulled into this conversation or i i you know took a double take or those kind of things but that is where uh, her trust in me is built which sounds kind of counterintuitive at times yeah uh, no i think on that my next on my next speaking engagement to couples i'm going to think about you and i'm going to say all right guys Unlock your phone, hand it to your wife, and have her look through it. And That's going to go really, really We're really going to have counselors in the back waiting for you. <laughs> yeah. Because you've been blind trusting your, both of you, you know, way too long. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, though, because, 
some people might hear that and say, wow, that's really controlling or isn't that super invasive? Like if they trust you, why would they need to see that? But I, I think you're right. It's counterintuitive, but it, it is correct that if you have nothing to hide, then you actually have nothing to lose by them having that option, right? And it really is just an option. It's not mandated. Like she's not probably going through your messages every night to make sure. Um, it's just like there's nothing to hide here. So, you know, go for it. Um, that I think is really the epitome of, of trust. Um, amazing. Uh, yeah, amazing story. Yeah. I was go just going to add, like when I first got into recovery, I kind of switched my career path a little bit. Uh, and, and started doing a lot of consulting. And then the, over the years, that's led to me now where I travel a good bit. And like when I first got into recovery, I'd be like, there's no way I'll ever be able to travel. Number one, in my addiction, I would have misused those opportunities. Sure. But number sure. two, that's a lot of trust for me to say, hey, I have to be in, in Chicago this week. Uh, I'm headed out. Uh, and, and yeah, that triggers her and that triggers things still. But for us to be in a place now where where I can do that and she can trust that is, is a huge place. So I, I know trust yeah. has, has been developed uh, and it can happen, but it's a, it's interesting looking backwards to see how that happens. To yeah, this for day, sure. my wife, to this day, my wife still says, I don't trust you. And it's more of a joke than it is <laughs> like for real, but actually it's kind of real and I'm okay yeah. with that. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, you have every right not to trust me. I have a very, very bad track record the, four, the first four or five years of our marriage were a bunch of lies. And so um, the, the craziness about having filters and having her have the freedom to unlock my phone or look at my phone is that it gives me freedom not to uh, live in that life of secrecy and hiding and that underworld and worry and, and just trying to come up with the next slide, it actually makes me more freer than yeah. controlled. And it's kind of one of these things where um, guys, they, they get up, not upset, but they get kind of like, uh, well, yeah, they get upset at, at internet filters or their wives checking in on them and stuff like that. It's like, no, no, no. You know why the Great Wall of China was built? Well, it's not to keep the Chinese people in, although maybe in communist China it is now, but, sure, yeah. <laughs> but it's built to keep invaders out. Yeah. And so that's why we have the filter. That's why we have this external boundary of my wife being able to check my phone is that it keeps me from these invaders coming in and me saying, oh, okay, let me let you in except the occasional inappropriate meme that I send out, like I sent out to Doug <laughs> this morning. And, uh, but it, ke it keeps me safe. It keeps me protected. Absolutely. It gives me the freedom to live my life the way God intended it, not the way I intended it or the way the enemy wants me to live it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good point. And you know, I, one of the common, I don't know if this is a Christian thing or maybe it's just human thinking in general, but we tend to reduce like things like trust or freedom to on or off, like it's either I trust you or I don't, when in reality, most of these things exist across a spectrum, right? And, and so we're, you know, we're growing in trust day by day. And every choice that you make, George or Doug, in your marriages to be transparent, it builds more trust, right? And it's going to push you further and further into greater, greater depths of trust as you keep going. Um, George, I'd love to hear from you when you look back on, on your recovery experience and uh, you mentioned doing SAA and uh, I'm sure you tried a bunch of different solutions along the way, but what for you was the most impactful in your recovery journey? Finally, Doug. Finally. It's my turn. <laughs> he, he, uh, <laughs> you took plenty of my turn too, so I'm not I'm not too sad for you. So, um, you know, what's really interesting, and Doug mentioned some of this, was that feeling growing up my entire life of not being loved. And uh, part of that was the family dynamics. A huge part was the sexual abuse and the pornography and that low self-esteem and not feeling loved, really truly loved and not even feeling loved by God. Hmm. And so in um, December of 2009, which is, you know, uh, I entered recovery in March, in December 2009, my uh, affair partner sends me a text about uh, the girl she had, that was a baby girl that was most likely mine. And so I went and got a DNA test, and 99.9% .9 uh, she is mine. 
And uh, wow. well, there's that 0.1% that there's a chance that she's not, right? It's like Amari sure. Povich, I'm not the father, or Jerry Springer, I'm not the father celebration. But I am the father. And, um, and so we met with an attorney on what our options were. And um, I remember sitting in this office, the same office, praying, listening to uh, Third Day uh, Revelation, talking about how um, it's, um, uh, it's not about the book of Revelation. It, it's uh, about give me a revelation on what to do. Show me what to do next. You know, I'm, I'm messed up. I need, I need guidance. And I'm praying that crying over this uh, decision we have to make about this girl, whether I'm going to relinquish my custody as a father and let them raise her in that uh, crazy, uh, rich lifestyle of, of just craziness. I mean, when I say that, it's kind of like one of those things where her grandmother had mates and raising the kids and a very, very wealthy family. And, um, or am I going to, uh, risk my marriage falling apart by taking custody of this little girl and i'm praying and listening to the lyrics and all of a sudden you know we had met with the attorney looked at the options my wife texted me at that time and they said go ahead and take custody and it was her choice to take custody of this little baby girl who had no um no fault of her own. She did not make the choice. It was two selfish individuals, myself and my fair partner, that made the choice to bring this little girl in the world. And my wife loving kids and being a preschool director and all that stuff, she knew that that kid had a better chance with us than wow. with a dysfunctional family, no matter how much money they had. Right. And so uh, right there is the first time I really felt God's love through my wife, what unconditional, that powerful love was that even though I messed up, I had screwed up the marriage, I'd gotten my fair partner pregnant, I'd done so many bad things that my wife still said, I love you enough to, and this child to raise her. And she, she lives with us, full, uh, not full time, but like uh, we have custody of her. And then right. first, third and fifth, she goes to her grandmother's house but um, she's, she's my beautiful baby girl, uh, one of three that we have. And we raise, my wife raises her like her own child. Wow. And that to me uh, really showed me God's love. And I wish that every single guy in recovery could feel that love, that true unconditional love. Because to be honest, we're not going to get that from our wives. I mean, or from anybody else, we can only get it from God. But that one moment of showing me what it was like really, really broke down any walls I have left uh, fighting this. I mean, to be honest, the first three to six months, I was thinking, okay, when my 18 month old, uh, two year old daughter uh, that I had previously with my wife uh, is 18, I'm out of here. I'm done. Right. I'm going back to the addiction. And that was the God honest truth. And at that point, it, uh, it broke down those walls and said, oh, my gosh, this is what real love is. I've never experienced this. I'm sure my mom and my dad loved me unconditionally. But um, in my mind, they didn't. So see this unconditional love really spearheaded everything for the ministry, the recovery. Uh, and I just wish that every guy could feel that love. God that um, that only he can provide yeah. and then of course the community and the steps and everything else Doug talked about I mean that's of all course. good stuff and I love it but but it's that real love from Jesus Christ that uh, melted this hardened heart uh, for me to really give everything to God yeah and it is amazing how God can use our lives to show that love right and sometimes oh, yeah. in in ways far beyond what we think we deserve or what we'd ever expect. It's, um, oh, yeah. it's pretty amazing. Um, I know that our listeners are probably going to want to connect with you guys and, uh, and just know a little bit more about what you do. Um, I don't know. Either of you can take it, whoever wants to. I guess it depends on whether I want a short answer or a long answer. But uh, <laughs> why don't you guys go ahead and uh, just fill us in. If these guys want to connect with you, how can they do that? So they can eat. Ah, sorry. Dad. I was going to try to take the short answer, but sorry, viewers, you got to listen for the next. Sorry, right, you got to listen to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, they can send an email to, uh, if they want general information on the ministry, info at castimonia.org. That's C-A-S-T-I. 
M-O-N-I-A.org. Uh, and, you know, I'll send them whatever info. We have Zoom meetings available or local meetings that they can attend uh, to really get that uh, Christ-centered approach to recovery, really focus on that. And um, if they want information on the podcast, they can email, what is it, Purity Podcast, Doug? Purity, Purity Podcast, podcast at, at castamonia.org. And that goes to both Doug okay. and me, and I'm just the backup. I let Doug answer everything. So just make sure you don't write anything negative about me because I'll read it and I'll lower my <laughs> self-esteem like one guy, one guy did once. It's and okay. I still have that email put up on my ah. board right here. It is, it is. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> no, that's perfect, guys. Um, one last thing. Uh, you, you might be talking to somebody who is in those situations you guys were in, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Um, maybe a bit of a hidden life, a fear about it coming out, and not sure what to do. You know, maybe they're hearing these stories or saying, that's great for you guys. Um, but you know, I want to keep doing, maybe not, I want to keep doing my thing, but I don't know how to take a step out or I don't know what to do. Uh, what would you say to them? I think for, for me, it really depends on how, um, how Christian and Christ loving the wife is. What I have found in recovery is the more the wife loves Jesus Christ and the more she's involved and the more she does the things that she does the better you are, it's like 90% chance that your marriage is going to survive. The yeah. less it is, it's a lot harder road, but it can be done. My yeah. advice is to first go to, uh, get to a meeting, find a counselor and tell them everything. And, yeah. and don't lie to them. Don't, don't, don't sugarcoat it. Because eventually if you want your marriage to survive, you're going to have to tell her, but do it. It's going to be in a safe space. And it's going to be done right. You know, the yeah. way I did it or the way Doug did it may not have been the best way early on. We're just like vomiting a few things. Uh, doing the full disclosure is the best way. Thera uh, very uh, therapeutic with a, with a counselor there uh, and, and you and your wife. And they can navigate through all of the ups and downs of, of the disclosure process. But definitely go get a counselor. Uh, go to go to a group meeting, whether it's a Zoom meeting. We have Zoom meetings you can attend. Yeah, it's all anonymous, and uh, none of this gets back to your wife unless you tell her about it. And so that's that's my advice. Yeah. Doug, what would you say? Yeah, I, I'd say never listen to George. Is <laughs> um, no, I was really going to say some things that were similar, but. I mean, just to put a caveat on the front end, I would first tell the guy, like, my answer is going to suck. Like, you're not going to want to hear this. Like, mm. uh, because there's no easy way to enter recovery. Like, uh, I think that was what I wanted. I wanted to say, well, I just want to quietly stop having affairs and stop looking at porn. I just want to internally figure this out. So then I can just go forward from this day on and be, and be good. Uh, and unfortunately, I haven't seen that happen in, in someone in recovery yet. Like the yeah. muck has to come out like it can't. And I just wanted that, that easy way to say, I just want to stop this behavior and then go on with the rest of my life. Uh, and so I tell guys that, unfortunately, I don't I don't see that pass. Uh, but I think there's safe ways to do it, just like George talked about. Like go to a counselor first, uh, talk yeah. to a guy in recovery first. Like don't just throw it all on, on your wife and expect it to, get, to go well from that moment. Yeah. Uh, but but honesty is going to be, be key. And first it's being honest with yourself and realizing, you know, I know it's this tagline from the movies, even back in the seventies, like admitting you have a problem is the first step. And that really is yeah. just first saying like, I've got, I've got issues and, and I want to work on those. And then, you know, it will be revealed what those next steps are. Uh, and then I've thrown a lot, a lot of adages today, but the adage of just do the next right thing uh, comes to mind. Like I tell guys like, what's the next right thing? Talk to somebody. What's the next right thing? You'll yeah. know it when you see it. Uh, and I think starting that's from to, Frozen to, too, Doug. It might that's be. It might you, be. Will you yeah. sing it for us? I, I actually haven't seen it yet. You're the ones with small oh. kids, so yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot. Oh, yeah. I thought thought we were getting a special performance there. There, <laughs> that's right. I was yeah. hoping for. Yeah. No, no. no. You got. I get to pay. I get to get paid for that. So. That's <laughs> Yeah, well, guys, this has been a, a real pleasure, a real fun interview. Thank you so much for uh, your time today and, and for sharing. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Oh, I appreciate thank it. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. Well, that was my interview with Doug and George of Castamonia. Uh, I told you, these guys are hilarious. Uh, good banter between the two of them, but but really unbelievable stories. You know, that is what, what got me more than anything else. Like these guys are, um, they're for real. You know, they they have walked the walk and they really know what it's like to be in a broken place. And I, I just want to encourage you, you know, if you identify with any part of their story, you know, maybe you've done worse than what those guys have done or maybe not as bad, but you know what it's like to be in that place where, uh, you have a hidden life and, and you know it probably needs to come out and you're just not sure how to do it, reach out to these guys. These guys are going to be such a great resource. They're going to be practical. You can tell they're very safe. They're transparent. Um, just uh, incredible guys. And uh, the one thing that we didn't mention in the podcast after we hit record, George goes, oh, I forgot to say uh, that they do have a retreat coming up in Texas uh, in November. And, um, and so uh, there's a link to it in the show notes. If you're interested in that, um, they have a, a really good thing going and it does sound like things have grown pretty significantly just in the last year or two here due to Zoom. So I think that retreat's going to be lights out. And I know many a men who have been deeply impacted and transformed through men's retreats. There's just something about guys being together, worshiping, growing, learning, um, engaging with one another, and really just, you know, working through their stuff. Um, God does incredible work and, and really powerful things happen. So uh, if you're in the Texas area or you feel like flying out to Texas, uh, I'm going to post all the details there in the show notes. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And, and the last thing I'll just mention is that if you are looking for a resource just to get you started, uh, I have a free ebook called The Ultimate Recovery Guide to, uh, pardon me, The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. And that is my five best practices for how to get free of porn. You can download that for free, no charge, at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have an amazing day. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to The New Man Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, you can share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please sign up for the weekly newsletter at www.sathiasam.com or follow on Instagram at Sam. Thanks again and see you next time.